And now on Sunday night, it's wonderful to welcome back once again into the Sunday night studios, Father Lynn Arnold. You may know him as a former Premier of South Australia or as a CEO of World Vision, but now a priest at, or the assistant priest at St Peter's Cathedral in Adelaide. Lynn Arnold, welcome for the next instalment of your varied career. Thank you very much, John. Great to be with you again. (laughs) Now, after working in politics for many years, you you worked with World Vision and other aid agencies, Anglicare I was with World Vision for 11 years, seven years in World Vision Australia and nearly four years uh, with World Vision International and then Anglicare South Australia. You're now at the cathedral as a priest and one of the things you're engaging in is, well, there are a couple of things you're engaging in, but they still somehow connect your life in in politics and and the world. Faith in the public square and thinking aloud, aloud. Yes, I'm at the cathedral where I'm the uh, the junior on the team. Uh, My portfolio is uh, faith in the public square. Um, and I also now have just in recent weeks started a role as reader in public theology at St. Barnabas Theological College, which is just across the road from uh, from the cathedral. Um, but as part of the Faith in the Public Square, Thinking Aloud Aloud was one of the series of conversations that we've been having. Explain to us what public theology is. Well, in a sense, it's much the same as Faith in the Public Square. So uh, in this coming semester, I'll be tutoring a course in theological ethics. But it's really, uh, from the uh, St. Barnabas College point of view, designed to be a space in which I can be part of a a public discourse on uh, how uh, church speaks to society and how society speaks into church uh, debates. This is something that can be considered somewhat contentious. I mean, there are those who say, um, right through the, uh, the the Western tradition, look, the the very thing that distinguishes our civilization, our sort of civilization, is we keep religion and politics apart. That uh, the moment you allow, you know, faith to run uh, the roost, then uh, civil society collapses. Well, there's a little bit of a difference as to what the separation of uh, the, the the secular from the the uh, faith based is supposed to mean. South Australia was clearly a great example of that separation, but it wasn't to be an absence of uh, the, uh, the 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 contribution of those of faith in the community debates. It was simply to be that you weren't going to have a theocracy, that the uh, society was not going to be governed by uh, church institutions. But people of faith do not honour the separation uh, of uh, church and government by then keeping silent. In fact, they they surrender a public space uh, unreasonably. Let's talk then about the most recent experience. We're still grappling with the uh, the results of our federal elections. You're somebody who's been in politics. You've seen the, the way both sides have behaved in this recent political campaign and perhaps in, in campaigns over the last 10 years or so. There seems to be a necessary tension in politics, which in, particularly in party politics, which is pulling people apart, which, which urges upon them discourtesy rather than courtesy, incivility rather than civility. Well, that's an interesting observation because, in fact, I I gave a sermon uh, not too long ago, just a couple of months ago, about the default position that seems to be rising up of a world which uh, loves to hate and hates to love. Um, And this is quite different from the, the very principle of Westminster democracy, which is the creative tension of ideas, which is essential. 
for moving us forward in the exploration of ideas. But the creative tension of ideas is premised upon uh, a, a respect and a preparedness to listen, a preparedness to, to have people uh, be given a chance to explain what they want to say and be heard. But the current default position of the, the world at large, and uh, indeed sometimes the faith institutions themselves, um, is, to, uh, is to move to a highly polarised position that uh, we, we regard ourselves as, as having the entire right. Now, you know, I'm, I'm a believer. I, I, I deeply believe my, in, in, in Jesus Christ and, and, and God. Um, but I also know, as the Apostle Paul says, I see through it last darkly. And we all see through it last darkly. Um, and it's important for us to have that uh, discourse between us to help us all see more clearly. There are a number of issues bearing on the whole uh, faith in the public square arena and the interface between religion and politics. Some of them we've touched on in our program earlier tonight. Let me, though, just raise one or two before we lose, leaves, leave the current or the recent election campaign behind, and that is the link that many made with the sort of disconnect in our election process and what seems to be happening in both the United States and Britain, with the, the disconnect of the middle with with politics or those who seem to be left behind saying politics has become the province of the elites rather they're the elites of the left or the elites of the right over the last 20 or 30 years and and the poor are being left behind as they ever were and you see it with the Brexit vote and the way the geographic distribution of that went you see it with the rise of Donald Trump do we see any indication of that in Australia with the way parties have fractured over this recent election Campaign. Well, we certainly do. You mentioned Brexit. In the US, you talk about Donald Trump, but I'd also throw Sanders, Bernie Sanders, into the yeah. equation. You have really a rejection, an anti-establishmentism that took place in the US. Here in Australia, we've, we've seen the, the vote for, other than the major parties, uh, drop, uh, increase, sorry. Uh, Ten years ago, uh, it was running at about 15% of people would vote on first preferences for other than the major two parties. In the most recent election, that was 25%. And in South Australia, it was 35%. Um, and the other thing which is notable is that in the 150 seats in the federal parliament, uh, where you reduce them to two-party, the final two-party candidate or the two final two candidates, back in 2004, four out of 150 were not Labour or Liberal as the two. This last election, 13 of them, had only one of the major parties as the final two, which tells you something, that there is a disquiet um, in, the, in Vox Populi, uh, not only in the US, not only in the UK, but here too. Um, and that's the sort of issue that uh, I, I think our major parties need to listen very carefully to. People put it down to two things. I've mentioned one of them, that is the the, the widening gap between the rich and the poor. Um, the, the other is new technologies and, and the way young people just are not interfacing with political processes the way they used to. Yes, but sometimes the young people are not showing up in those figures very much because yeah. sometimes they're so dis disinclined they're not even registering to vote. Um, new technology is allowing a lot more side chatter to go on um, and that side chatter becomes the main game in, in many people's cases, which may be explaining the, the drop away of major party votes. Major parties, all, I think, also need to push, pull themselves away from believing that everything will come back to normal at some point. The new normal is not the normal they were used to. 
where do you feel the new normal is beginning to show? Well, the new normal, uh, I, I think, really is a recognition that Vox Populi wants to be heard, yes. wants to uh, have, a, have a chance to speak, does not want to be pandered to in a cheap kind of way. One of the problems I've, I've had, for example, on the refugee debate, uh, certainly in the 2010 and 2013 elections, was that both sides rushed to some tawdry middle ground, responding to focus group uh, comments about the how important they felt the issue was, but they responded in the lowest common denominator way that didn't try to elevate the debate to actually talk about what do we as people want to say about uh, other people who feel the need to move. In, in a world where people movement has become uh, a, a vastly different proposition to 20 and 30 years ago. Yes. It, it, it's so different from the... Uh the ethos that prevailed initially post-World War II and then post the Vietnam War, yet at that level of the debate just hasn't seemed to surface at all. Well, of course, we need to temper that a little bit, that uh, uh, popular opinion about migration is always, in some senses, behind the eight ball. Between yeah. 1948 and 1992, there were only three years in which the Australian public supported the then current levels of immigration, and that was in the late 1960s. Every other year, they might have said it was good before, but it's too high now. Um, so that we do have to understand that, that element of, of, of cautiousness, of conservatism in, in Vox Populi. But what happened in 2010 and 2013, and frankly didn't happen in 2016 because both sides just decided really not to talk about it, um, was a... Uh, moving to a, a tawdry middle ground that simply said who can be toughest on uh, on boat people rather than discussing the symptomatic issues behind why are people in, 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 in such an unstable situation in so many parts of the world and what can we as a society do uh, to, to play our part as we have done in the past. There's another issue that intrudes here and we touched on it in our earlier discussion this evening and that is the way in which all of society is pushing us into an individualised consumer orientation, almost a purchaser-provider model for everything. And we're now seeing that. We're now seeing even the Productivity Commission getting into the idea of, of well, perhaps even marketising welfare services. Has this model yet reached its limit? Uh, well, maybe not. That's a concern. Uh, but this idea of individualizing happens in so many different ways. We, we, we customize everything to our own personal needs. We customize our media so that we will choose to edit out the sorts of stories that might discomfort us. We don't want to know about them. And that then means that we become less part of the global picture by virtue of that. In terms of the uh, the welfare services, the other issue that comes into play here is uh, the, the growing tendency, and this concerns me more, frankly, the growing tendency to blame the victim, to, to blame the person who is at the bottom of the, uh, the pecking order, the bottom of the economic ladder, for their own circumstance, rather than uh, looking at the causes that uh, stops them climbing on the ladder or push them off the ladder in the first place. During the election campaign... It wasn't until the last week that welfare services got a mention and it was then that Scott Morrison said we're going to have a crackdown on welfare. Yet for the previous month, all of the churches and all of the welfare agencies had been pushing out material and bulletins talking about the needs of society, just got no traction in the media. 
And I think that's something that we as uh, church communities need to explore why we're failing to get traction on those points. What is it that uh, we're not able to speak to Vox Populi and have Vox Populi say, yes, I get what you're trying to say about fairness, about basic principles of fair opportunity, equal opportunity, about basic principles of looking after those who uh, are not able to, 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 to cope. Um, we need to explore our own messaging, and that's one of the roles I'm hoping to do in, uh, in my role. Uh, I know the Public Affairs Commission of the Anglican Church of Australia, which I convene, that's one of the things we're looking at. Um, how can we communicate in a way that gets heard rather than has the, the wider community say, oh, well, of course, you'd expect the churches to say that. Um, I mean, sometimes we get indulged by the wider community as being that's the sort of thing they say <laughs> rather than being listened to. Lynn Arnold, it's been great to have you with us. We look forward to uh, hearing more from your position with the Anglican Church and perhaps catching up on a little of faith in the public square in the future. Thanks so much for joining us on Sunday Night. Thank you very much, John. This has been a podcast of Sunday Nights on ABC Local Radio. Thank you for listening.